0: Welcome, IronRadio.org listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiologist and a nutritionist, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder.
3: Hi, it's Dr. Mike T. Nelson. I did a PhD in exercise physiology, masters in mechanical engineering, instructor, and I like to pick up heavy stuff.
4: Hey, it's John Mike here. Almost Dr. Mike, probably about two or three months out, and I'm a columnist and team member for EliteFTS.com. I write for major fitness and bodybuilding magazines and i love lifting heavy things as well
0: yep that's the common theme for sure hey everyone we um are missing phil phil had some technical issues on top of trying to move into his new gym his new facility there so uh he's not with us this week uh luckily we've got some other co-hosts here rocking the mic and after the break today we're gonna check in with rich colasante who uh He's going to give us sort of the landscape of orthopedics, um, spinal repair of different kinds, um, offer some out-of-the-box insights about how to take care of your spine so you don't end up having stuff like spinal fusion done. And even if you do, you know, what do you do about that? What's the smartest way to to go about this? So we've done issues or uh, episodes on spinal care and repair in the past, and it's a bit more of that. But Rich is a real insider on that sort of thing, like medical sales and medical devices and stuff. So, And, um, like the rest of us, he likes to pick up heavy things. So um, in the first half of the show, we're just going to handle some breaking news, uh, you know, gym talk, uh, that kind of thing. Strength and Muscle Sport News. So, John, you just mentioned that you were a, a columnist for Elite FTS, and I know you just wrote an article about detox scams. And I actually read some of the... Feedback to that, and I was almost amazed there was any pushback at all, you know, about yeah. some of that. And now I mean, obviously you handled that well, but maybe fill in listeners about these detox diets just real briefly. I mean, of course they can go over, you know, to Elite FTS and check it out too. But
4: right, I mean, typically, I mean, we're just we we constantly hear about these detox things in the news and online and social media, and you know, things that you can buy in the store for you know twenty, thirty, forty dollars, and they come in just you know cardboard boxes and little packets of you know what look to be just like lemonade and things like that to cleanse out your cleanse out your system and to you know get rid of all kinds of diseases and disabilities. So basically, I just wrote an article. Um, I talked briefly about like the history of detox and like what we actually mean by detox because typically, traditionally, it's a, a medical term, right? That um, you know you don't just go buy something in the Target store. You know, <laughs> it's right. designed traditionally designed to. To treat you know certain medical types of conditions, but we've taken that term, a legitimate medical term, and, and kind of um, gyrated it into a, a glorified, well-marketing version of you know to lose weight and to look slim and you know fit and all these things and you know ten days, twenty days, and all that stuff. So kind of talked about that. You know, mentioned like what what we typically think of toxins, and uh, you know, of course, in training and nutrition culture. We always like to talk about certain foods you know it's it's the grains or it's the omega-6s and the sugars and processed foods and stuff and i talked about you know how does the body actually get rid of toxins you know there's three ways you know liver and kidneys and, and and then we can also throw in sweat but that's really not a way that we actually get rid of toxins it's really just liver and kidneys and i talked about a lot of the claims and you know the truth about the the claims and things like that so it got a lot of really good feedback and you know, I thought the comments about the butthurt would really come out uh, <laughs> on, on this article. But um, it, it was kind of neutral, but uh, more positive, actually.
0: Yeah, that's good. People have all kinds of ideas. And, you know, we try to be positive, you know, have a no-hate policy on Iron Radio. I know, actually read an iTunes review recently that somebody said that I talk down to people who I don't think are, you know, my equal or something and I don't mean to be judgmental and same thing with this detox stuff I understand people are trying to you know they're just they're operating on the information they're provided but yeah I think and correct me if I'm wrong but I, my understanding is that there's just not any good literature that you can somehow you know detox and um cleanse yourself you know because like you said you're Your liver has cells dedicated to metabolizing drugs and other substances out of your system. You know, your kidneys filtered out into your urine and that sort of thing. But there's just there's not really any solid science because I don't think scientists really take this whole detox thing seriously. Is that correct?
4: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's really I mean, there's a couple of comments on the site. And I I think if you want to do it for maybe like a day or two or maybe probably to the maximum up to like a week, that's fine but i mean like many other things they just can't be sustained for a prolonged period of time because you know you risk you know not only um uh, caloric reduction or even extreme measures of caloric reduction but you know loss of you know certain amino acids and proteins and healthy fats and you're just kind of more on these liquid diets and um there, there can be somewhat starvation you know uh, sure. mode indicative but yep. yeah, you just can't really sustain them and and you run the risk of you know, various vitamin and nutrition, uh, vitamin and, um, you know, mineral types of deficiencies.
5: Right. Yeah,
0: no doubt. And it, like you said, even just being hypocaloric for a really long period of time, that's that's not going to help people who are listening to this program, you know, that are trying to build mass and, you know, for prolonged periods anyway. So, yeah. Um, so, Dr. Nelson, uh, I know yeah. you've talked about the detox thing before, and I, you're not really sold that such a thing exists the way it does in the fitness world, either right
3: no no I like John's article I thought it was very very cool because the question I always ask these people is that yeah I'm gonna go do a detox I'm like okay well what toxin are you detoxing and they're like Mm -hmm. the the toxins (laughs) all all of them (laughs) all of them (laughs) it's like but if you can't even give me a name of you know one whether it's real or not I'm gonna kind of wonder what you're doing
4: yeah, no, and that's one of the things about like these toxins stuff. It's like they always say, well, these, these toxins, but you, you never actually hear anyone say or yeah. name what specific toxin it is, right?
3: Exactly, right. Yeah, and I did read the one ebook that the guy put out a long time ago about the the, the cayenne and maple juice and or maple syrup and lemon juice fast or whatever it was, and because I had a bunch of people all all of a sudden just email me, and I'm like, okay, I'll I'll read it. I think the guy is a little bit nutty. And I get all the way to the end and he never mentions like protein. And I'm like, Well this is kinda weird. And so like in one of the last paragraphs of the book, he's like, Well, people may ask if we really need protein or not, and he's like, We really don't, because protein has nitrogen and we breathe the air, which is mostly nitrogen. Oh my god Therefore we oh don't need gosh. protein. And I'm thinking, You're not a freaking plant. You know, you're oh my a god. mammal. <laughs> well, so, Again, you know what? Throw the whole book out, then. Right. I don't want to be
0: judgmental, right? But, but that's that's incorrect. Yes. <laughs> yeah, you can't fix nitrogen from the air and somehow build your own amino acids out of the keto acids that you had at the beginning. Right. Yeah, that's not going to work. All right, but now you had some interesting stuff happening to you in the news lately uh, with the whole um, sensory deprivation tank. I don't know if listeners have heard about these, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, tell us
5: about that.
3: Yeah, so it's something I've been wanting to do for a while, so I've been kind of looking more at what you can do for recovery, right? And that's a whole other discussion about are you actually recovering or are you actually screwing up the stimulus that you tried to get in the gym? But regardless of that, the float tank is sometimes called the sensory deprivation chamber, which sounds like some medieval torture or something like that. But what they do is they put like 700 pounds of Epsom salt into water, Right, so it allows you to actually then float. Right, so if you've ever been like to the Dead Sea in places with, you know, high salt content, you're much more buoyant. And then it's all black, so there's one little light in there you can turn off or on. And then the water is heated to about body temperature, and it's weird. So you you get there and it looks like the outside. It's much smaller than I thought. Just part of it goes back into the wall, mm-hmm. and it looks like you're gonna crawl into like a large industrial dryer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so it's nice. kind of freaky and you you go in head first so your feet are actually up by the door you close the door turn the light off and it's just pitch black and the first thing I thought was you know normally you're like well you can't really float per se so I put my head back and I'm waiting for the water you know to come over my face but it comes up just to the side of your eyes actually so your ears are in it but your eyes are not and your mouth isn't and so it took me quite a while just to basically lay there and I was just working on some breathing drills trying to relax but it's it's very similar to the first time I ever did scuba diving. So they, they give you a regulator and a tank and I remember just sitting on the bottom of a pool and the first time I put my face in the water to try to breathe through the regulator, I, I popped my face up right away because everything you've ever learned in your whole life is that you can't breathe underwater, uh-huh, right? So you right. feel the water hit your face. So I remember just I'm sitting on the a pool at that point underneath just trying to work on just breathing and i'm just like <sighs>
5: wow
3: <laughs> just massive <laughs> stress response
0: mike let uh-huh. me ask you then for you're talking about recovery and what's actually helpful or not i mean how common are these things and do you think they're valuable to someone who's trying to get you know nervous system recovery and prevent overtraining or something
3: yeah so I don't know on the latter part, the Minnesota, there's only one, but they're becoming a lot more popular now. Um, so the other thing that I realized too for recovery is because you're kind of getting rid of a lot of sensation in your body. That's kind of the, the point of it. And it really makes you all of a sudden hyper aware of areas that you're super tight. Right. So I, I realized that even when I went in initially, I'm like, now yeah, my neck and my back feel pretty good. But after being in there for a while, I could tell that, the tension in my neck and low back was way higher than any other part of my body. Hmm. So that was something I didn't expect that may be useful as a, you know, a crude N of one diagnostic type thing. Um, and then also, I mean, you're working on breathing, which we know specific types of breathing can increase parasympathetic tone. So parasympathetic, as people know, is the rest and digest branch of the nervous system. Um, I don't know, I it seemed to help quite a bit. I mean, I felt, pretty good once i got out you know re, you know seemed to be pretty good the rest of the day so i don't know i'll try it again and i'll be measuring more heart rate variability stuff too to, to see if it's useful or not but um mm-hmm. yeah it was mm-hmm. cool i mean if there's one in the area I'd, I'd recommend people you know try it out and see what they think how long were you in there did you say i was in there longer than what most so some places are only 60 minutes and this place was actually 90 minutes mm-hmm. um and the other question they had is well do you want music on or not and initially, I'm like, yeah, that would be cool. And then my next thought was, oh, if I hate the music, this is going to be a really horrible 90 minutes of trying <laughs> good to point. Relax, yeah. Listening to these yeah. bad tunes. and yeah,
4: they're probably not going to play a Lamb of God in there.
3: <laughs> no, no, right. yeah, it was. Uh, I, would, I think it's worth people, you know, checking out the 90 minutes. If you're new, I think maybe a little bit much. I was getting a little stir crazy by the end because my, my fear was I was going to fall asleep in there, and they were going to forget me and leave for the day. <laughs> for that, <time. laughs> that would be bad,
0: yeah. yeah. I'll offer one little bit of news, and then we'll go to break here. But uh, I just got done crunching some data on energy drinks, you know, caffeine drinks and heavy, you know, new kind of uh, coffee products and that sort of thing, and just did an NSCA webinar, actually, about some of this. But uh, we've been looking a little deeper a couple of questions about pre-workout stimulants whether again whether it's just strong coffee as part of your pre-workout ritual or an energy drink or even you know the different pre-workout pills and capsules and stuff but one thing that i was very curious about and uh dr nelson and i were sort of bantering about this some before but is how much of this is actually motor you know uh stimulation how much of of this um wiring effect that you feel mentally you know cognitively actually pans out into explosive motor performance or you know neuromuscular explosion and it's just interesting that I look for correlations you know is there a relationship between how mentally alert you are uh, or the sense of energy that you have mentally and then how well that you perform explosive lifts and there really wasn't much of a correlation and again this harkens mm-hmm. back to what you were saying Mike about, um, a week or two ago on the show which was You can practice, like, imagery and do the mental thing till it would be – you would think it would be exhaustive, and it doesn't really affect your motor performance, you know. So uh, the whole idea would be that – and, again, David Barr, who's a friend of the show uh, and works with the NSCA, he he and I had a talk back last summer, and he's like, you know, I just think so many trainers overstate this idea that the central nervous system is just one thing, you know, and, of course – you know, so that's one of the things that we talked about, of course, in that little webinar was it's different things. You know, there's, of course, there's your sensory cortex up in your brain. There's your motor cortex where the movement arguably begins or the premotor cortex. But then there's descending tracks down your spine. You know, then there's these reflex loops. And that was one. And the other thing that I did, and I, I'm not going to go on about it much, but I just crunched some data about another question that, that I think most of us should be asking. If we do use pre-workouts at all. Uh, And recently, I wrote an article on T Nation about this. And one guy said, well, you know, this isn't news. We all use stimulants before we work out. And my real response to that was, well, I can appreciate that, you know, having been someone who does that. Uh, But what about the magnitude? Do you know how much it goes up? Is it 1%? Is it 20%? Because if I was about to do a competitive lift, I might want to know that. You know, what's the magnitude here? Uh, But there's another question that we've been looking at. Uh, By the way, the magnitude looks like it's about 7 to 11%, something like that. And it depends on the bench press versus squat and and different things. But what happens to people who are habitual users? You know, if you're a regular heavy coffee drinker or you use pre-workouts or energy drinks daily, and I've known a lot of college students, they drink energy drinks, you know, multiple times a day. Uh, Do you get a blunted motor effect? You know, is your neuromuscular performance blunted? So uh, we're looking at that closely, and I'm I'm trying to be vague about this. I don't want to spoil it because we're going to be presenting this at a conference. Uh, but it's about what you would think. Let's put it that way. And, again, I don't want to just throw this out as a teaser, you know, but it's about what you would think. Does it abolish the benefit? Not really. Uh, and, you know, I think to me that makes sense because – If you look across the world and you look at coffee and tea being the number one beverages on earth, there's a reason that people keep going back to the coffee pot, you know, that you don't get completely blunted. Otherwise, people drink coffee for a week and stop. We'd all stop and we don't, you know, we keep drinking it. So uh, I wanted to know, though, that's more for mental, right? On the mental side of the nervous system, you know, the cognitive and the brain level stuff with perception. But on the motor side, there's just not as much data as you would think about, habituation to caffeine and whether or not it really ruins the effect you know again you feel wired so you know that's true like that guy commented on t nation um and i agree with what he said i mean of course you feel wired every time but do you get a blunted neuromuscular effect um so that's what we were looking at specifically anyway so cool stuff and again specific to weightlifters people who are doing speed work especially Uh, with submaximal loads there's just really not much out there and we're looking at women too so men and women and we're looking at does habituation uh you know ruin the effect i'm amazed there's not just oceans of literature on this already because everybody seems to do this you know my brother and i we used to uh use caffeine pretty heavily before we worked out you know or even like that ephedrine caffeine aspirin stack you know and back in the day and My sister, who is a surgeon, she'd be like, oh, that's so bad. You guys shouldn't have to rely on some type of stimulus. I'm like, well, you know, it's part of the pre-workout ritual for us. You know, we're purposely not abusing it. You know, and now everybody does. it. It's just funny because that was the old days, the whole ECA stack thing, you know. Um, And then now, I mean, of course, ephedrine is demonized to the point that I've actually seen people lose their nutrition license for including ephedrine in their services, believe it or not. You know, (laughs) so... Uh, but but now having said that, you know that was back in the day, and um, now I think every I know you guys could correct me, but I, I think now everybody pretty much uses that. I mean, look how popular pre workouts are. Stimulants sell.
4: You know? Yeah, they do. I mean, and just like you said, I mean, especially college young college guys, they, they just they live on it all day long, all week long. I mean, um, and, then, and then of course they don't eat much, and they eat like little birds, and then they wonder why they don't you know put on the
2: mass.
0: So. You know, that's a good point. It kills your appetite on top of it. Yeah. And, then, yeah. and
3: I've, I've seen people basically use pre-workout stimulants in place of just poor recovery and poor programming. And I've had a couple of clients who have just been just utterly burnt out. And, and not just because of that, because of all sorts of things. But what's interesting is you're talking also, Lonnie, about the mental changes. Because it makes you feel good, I've wondered if it alters your sense of perception about how well you're actually doing. Because in a couple of people, I said, okay, go to the gym. Uh, just for a month i want you just to measure your performance what you did and they're very heavy you know caffeine stimulant users and in just a couple cases their performance went down but when they self-reported it they said no i'm doing great i feel good i'm making progress but when they measured it it was actually kind of trending down yeah so i wonder sometimes if by using those all the time do you kind of lose a little bit of perception of if you're you know really making progress or not too
0: no that's a good point now yeah. we're, we're just about out of time but i guess that's what that's been the theme these last couple of episodes you know your nervous system is not just one thing your central nervous system is not just one thing and things that seem obvious if you don't actually go study it yeah. and document the meters per second of bar velocity or the power output or the rate of force development you could be led down the primrose path where you think you're rocking And maybe you're not. You feel great, but it doesn't mean that you're actually performing. You know, you're moving that bar faster. Yeah.
4: Yeah, I I, I know what Mike is talking about because I ask the same thing to subjects coming in. Hey, how you feeling? Feeling good today? Yeah, yeah, feeling great. And then their performance kind of says something else, right?
5: (laughs) Right, right. Yeah.
0: All right, fellas. Well, that is it. We're going to go to break here. And when we come back, we're going to check in again with Rich Colasante. Uh, and get some information on orthopedics and uh, mostly spinal uh, care and repair. Hi, this is Dr. Lowry with an update on the protein book that you hear about in the ad at the end of the show. Uh, If you simply Google CRC Press and protein uh, there's a new development on the right side of the page you can see ebook and there's a purchase slash rent option and the cool thing here is if you check that out now because they have an agreement with vital book uh, you can actually download the ebook for 69 us dollars so that's 31 percent off the 99.95 uh, cover price so that's pretty fantastic 69 dollars i think that's going to Drop it into the affordable range for a lot of people, and you can even rent it. Uh, Lower down the page, they have 180-day rentals and one-year rentals, so you can access the book in electronic format and get some of this juicy information. So, thanks. Hi, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry, and on behalf of Phil and Rob, I'd just like to let listeners know that if you love us or you hate us, We'd like you to leave a comment or perhaps vote for us on iTunes. It helps us out quite a bit on the popularity side of things. Uh, You can also follow uh, Dr. Lowry, me, on Twitter. Uh, It's Lawnman 7 on Twitter if you want to do that. We also have a Facebook page, the Iron Radio uh, listeners page. So uh, whether it's leaving a comment or voting for us or following us on Twitter or Facebook – uh, that would be fantastic. Also, uh, occasionally Rob or myself will write an article for another website and Phil will as well. So lots of ways to um, interact, uh, follow us in other media, and vote for us and uh, keep things going strong on Iron Radio.
5: Thanks.
4: I can't stop feeling.
5: Some of us don't understand how lucky we are to be living
1: in. Hi, listeners. This is Rob Fortress-Fortney. I'm here to remind you that as the holiday season approaches and your thoughts turn to giving, we like you to keep Iron Rating in your thoughts. Every week for four years now, it's been our privilege to bring you weekly news, experts, and gym talk. Did you know that now roughly 20,000 brothers and sisters of Iron count on us for these things? Of course, not everyone can afford to be a supporting member or a significant one-time donor. But for those of you willing to pitch in, four dollars per month or fifty dollars just once we're about to sweeten the deal become a supporting member or major donor and a limited number of you will receive a gift worth over 20 dollars and we will never forget our existing supporters simply email me via ironradio.org and i'll send you a free seminar from dr lowry on how to significantly and realistically boost your testosterone levels Help your Iron brothers and sisters who cannot pitch in but deserve better internet programming in our sports. And happy holidays! Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes,
0: Okay, everybody, we're back. This is Lonnie, and I am with Rich Colasante, as promised. Uh, he's going to be talking about the orthopedic landscape, if you will, uh, with special reference to lifters uh, and maybe alternatives to, you know, uh, some of the typical spinal surgeries or problems that people might have, how to take care of yourself, all that sort of thing. Uh, but before we do, Rich, can you just let listeners know about your background, whether it's lifting or professional?
2: Absolutely. Uh, thanks, Lonnie. Uh, great to be on the show. Uh, yeah, I've actually been in the uh, fitness uh, world, if you will, uh, probably since right out of high school and then through my grad school years, which, of course, you know, was up at Kent State and uh, started personal training back then, and I was actually uh, coaching at the time at Kent State, the wide receivers as a GA, and it kind of evolved as I got into my medical career. I, I found a real passion, obviously, for training, working with athletes and Back in about 2005, when I was living in New York, I uh, had met Dr. Carlin Coker, and he uh, highly recommended that I get involved with the NSCA, and I got my certification back in July of 2005 with them, and it's really been kind of a life passion, and it's been a great marriage between having that knowledge and then, of course, working in the spinal orthopedic corporate world. Uh, It's been really unique to kind of see the evolution, Lonnie, of, of how training's gotten better, but then also how... The medical device world has gotten better, uh, both from a surgical approach and from a re- prehab and a rehab approach, and some of the, kind of the adjunctive therapies we can talk about today. So, I've uh, been around the business, uh, been involved with you know lifting, and been involved with athletes, and still train a little bit with some athletes here in the I'm in the western suburbs of Chicago, with, in Naperville, and. Uh, kind of keep my pulse on it, and then obviously with with the job uh, in the spine industry it keeps me very busy. But it's it's a great kind of a connection, if you will, between training and then also working with physicians and surgeons on the kind of the next generation of treatment for injuries and keeping us healthy.
0: Right, no guy. Before we go any further, though, so as your knowledge, I'm just curious as your knowledge of the spine and some of the different implants and you know approaches to spinal care as that evolved. Uh, have you remained um, someone who likes to heavy squat? Does it change the way you work out uh, your knowledge base?
2: Yeah, it does, and I, I tell you why. You know, and let's let's talk before surgery and then after. There's no question that that you know how you approach. Especially, and I'm 47, Lonnie. Just full disclosure here for the show, I'm not I'm not a spring chicken anymore. Right?
5: Me you know, you, you,
2: <laughs> change, you change the way you train, man. Let's be really candid. I don't know the age demographic of people listening today, but at the end of the day, when you hit this age and you've been training as long as we have you change your approach, you're a little more careful, uh, a little more strict, and you listen to your body maybe more so than you did in your 20s. Uh, but I will tell you, if you do have to get a spinal procedure, and, of course, it's there's a, there's a great variance you're lying. But if you're getting a fusion, it will change the way you train, and I, I definitely can tell you that you wouldn't be going pretty heavy on your squats if you did need a fusion. Now, there's some other minimally invasive approaches and scopes that they do that with the proper rehab, and I can go over some of the adjunctive therapies that are out there, you can get back in the gym. You can get back on the field of play, uh, but, again, it's, it's a lot of detail and a lot of uh, attention to detail that I think is missing out there, and I can get into more depth about that here in a bit. But, yeah, I, I think if you've got a, a back injury out there, guys, you, you need to take the time to get several opinions uh, from several surgeons. You need to do your homework. You need to get with several uh, patients who've had the procedure and any office that's worth their salt is going to offer that up to you, Lonnie. They will. They'll let you talk to patients who've had the procedure, and I think it's important to talk patient to patient. And then take the time to get to know the therapist out there and some of the other options that are out there for you. Um, You should never rush into surgery, and if you have to do it, make sure you as the patient take ownership of it. I think we still, to this day, Lonnie, in 2014, okay i'm just going to give it to the doctor and you know he knows best and they do they know the surgery but you know you have to know what you're about to step into when you get to that point when your injury gets to that
0: point yeah that's great advice uh, not only talk to other patients but one of the things that i would of course be very curious about would be you know uh, how do i approach the doctor or you know how do i emphasize and get some respect out of him that listen i might be asking more out of this repair than an old person, sedentary person might. You know what I mean? And Yeah, you know. yeah. and I,
2: that, I think that's that's such a big point, Lonnie, that, that's missed. And I know that just for myself, I've had a labral tear in my shoulder. I've had a labral tear in my hip. I still have it to this day. And, um, you know, I think I haven't had a spine injury. But when you're going to see your physician, without question, you need to lay out your expectations. And if one of those is to get back into the gym, you need to have a very candid conversation with him and with they typically are working with a physical therapy department and they have an outline or an algorithm for post op, or today it's really popular, on is the, is the prehab component, the build up to surgery, you mm-hmm. know? Yep. So I think you have to sit down and ask yourself, what am I going to be able to do before this and what am I going to be able to do realistically after that? And if you do enough research and you have enough hard conversations, you can put the it's, just, it's not physical, Lonnie. It's so mental, man. I, I can't emphasize that enough on the call today. is that people have to go into this with the right mental approach and how they're going to be able to train after a fusion. Hopefully, you don't need that. Hopefully, there's going to be some type of minimally invasive first-step procedure that can buy you some time, and that's what this is really about today is buying yourself some time with all the things that are going on in the science world to get you to that point that maybe you can avoid surgery. And I guess, you know, I won't talk too long on this, and, you know, I'm sure Phil would agree with me on this. You had a show about six months ago, and you were talking about the mental approaches to training. I remember Phil said, if I'm deadlifting on Thursday, man, on Tuesday, I start thinking about it. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, you may roll your eyes what I'm about to say, Lonnie, but I wish people would take that same approach to an injury about, hey, man, I'm going to see my therapist tomorrow. i got to get in there and give him the same intense effort that I would give on my squat and my deadlift day, my plyometric training day, whatever you do. And, you know, that's, I tell you, if you talk to therapists across the country in these orthopedic outfits, that's probably their biggest frustration, man. It is is—it is without question the reason we don't have successful outcomes with a lot of our surgeries.
0: Okay, so you are you saying that people aren't compliant at all, or they don't put in... Are they half-assed with the rehab, like it's a joke, or what do you mean exactly?
2: I, 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 to, to be very specific, yeah, I would say they're 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 half-assed about it, man. Whether it's and it's, it frustrates people that they don't take that part of it serious. They just think that the surgeon's going to do his magic, and that in four to six weeks they're going to be back in the gym, and they're not putting in the time to address what can really help their spine, their knee, their hip, their shoulder. And, man, this is like brushing your teeth, man. This is probably going to be with you the rest of your life, and you're going to have to do some type of additional adjunct, adjunctive exercises or treatment modalities to keep you functional. And um, I guess, you know, what frustrates me, lot, and I, I know that, that, that nobody's ever going to fund a study like this, but what is it 15% of the population or less live a lifestyle for listeners on this on this broadcast today where they truly consistently train and eat a, a good, you know, diet and have a very healthy perspective, which is pretty sad that it's 15% or less, but if you take that 15% line and you did a study on their outcomes, I would guarantee you those people would have better outcomes, higher success rates, returning to work, returning to field of play, returning to the gym than the, the I'll, I'll say the sedentary population, but it's just the general population that just does not understand that this is this is a lot of work, man, and I know it's not fun. and. I'm sorry, taking all the Naperson and the Advil, that doesn't work anymore.
5: (laughs) Okay, Okay, right, yeah.
2: about to broach, man. So I'm not trying to be negative on this call or anything, but I'm just trying to get people to wake up and say, hey, man, if you have an injury, if you take it seriously, and I love to use the Jerry Rice example, you remember when he tore his ACL many years ago, they did a documentary on that. He was supposed to be out 18 months, and he returned in less than a year, and I'm sure the surgeon did a great job, but let's face it. Jerry Rice came back because Jerry Rice came after his rehab, just like he would with his training. We all know how his training was, you know, up there with the Walter Payton training for the NFL greats. So, you know, that should be a model for people to any kind of surgery you're about to undertake, especially the spine, that takes on all the loads of of these heavy movements that you're going to do, and the cleans, and the power, the Olympic level lifts. So I know I'm kind of going off on a tangent here, but it's it's something that troubles a lot of us, Lonnie, on this side of the stick, that people do not take it to this day seriously to the extent that they should.
0: Well, I can, from personal experience, I've had an ankle repair, and when I, you know, I had a complete rupture of my right triceps, and uh, you're never exactly the same again, and you need to have a respect. I, <clears throat> I know I do that repairs aren't going to be perfect and last forever and it's it's just going to be exactly back to where it was i mean this may be um ignorant on my behalf but i've come to the conclusion that if i'm 85 percent happy with that repair if it's 85 percent or 90 percent, i'm not saying functionality wise i mean i want full range of motion but i mean i just mean sure. there's a there's a little bit of weirdness you know when they when they reattach something or like my ankle was actually sort of it was more extensive than that. Even um, they got a little creative in there, I think. But the point is, yeah, taking care of that, preventing that surgery, or taking care of it so the repair lasts for twenty years, thirty years. You know what I mean? I th- I would think that would require some level of effort.
2: So it, it does, Lonnie. And you just you hit on another big point. Um, and I, we joke about this often, and I worked for Smith and Nephew for a while and worked with a lot of pain management physicians across the country. There's a real good one here in Chicago, Ken Candido, and we always joke that. Um the sign on the door says pain management. It's not pain elimination. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, yeah. People please understand to your point, Lana, your ankle, that, you know, it's eighty five, ninety percent. You know, let's accept let's celebrate that that we got you back to eighty five to ninety percent. There's gonna be some pain and we're gonna find a way to manage that pain so that you can still enjoy and do what you love to do. But to have that perspective that you're gonna be back feeling like you did at twenty one you know, I think that's the other thing, too, that we think that we've made such progress in the surgical world that we can get you back to 100%. I, I don't think that's realistic. And I think if you take that different perspective, then it's more manageable, not just physically, but mentally. So that's what's missing out there, man. And it's it's a shame, but I think I think we're getting better, and I can get into some things that are alternative stuff that help with that, the mindset and the physiology as well.
5: Right.
0: In fact, let's go ahead and do that. So uh, obviously there's advances in science and medicine at a blistering pace these days. Uh, So what are some of the, you know, if you are gonna describe the landscape of orthopedics and spinal surgery and that sort of thing, let's start with maybe preventing the problem in the first place. Like what are some things that people can do to take care of themselves so they don't end up with, um, you know, multiple uh, spinal fusion and that sort of thing, uh, you know, just taking care of themselves in general?
2: Okay. Well, g- great question, and I look, from what I've seen being in the industry as long as I've had and talking to the therapists and whatnot that are out there, there there's a, more of a collage approach, if you will, versus one thing that you can do, and I think because everyone's body's different, you have to go almost through a process of elimination, but some things that are really good out there, I think there's some been great progress with acupuncture that when you first get any kind of injury, acupuncture has been found to really help kind of address some of the swelling and the immediate pain very local to the site whether it's your knee, your hip, your back. Uh, we, have a, we have a great guy here in Chicago, um, Peter Harvey out in the western suburbs that, that is just awesome and I've personally have gone to him so that's why I'm dropping his name on the call today. But I've found that, that the acupuncture has done a great job to address pain and swelling specifically to any type of joint injury. So that's, that's one avenue, okay. I think we've, that's been around a long time but it's kind of gaining a, a different level of respect now. Second is muscle activation. Any type of muscle activation therapist that you have access to, you know, anytime we see a weakness in the muscle, right? We know that there's some type of limitation in the range of motions. There's tightness, right? That's usually secondary to the fact that the muscle is probably weakest, getting weaker rather on the opposite axis, right? And mm-hmm. I think muscle activation does a tremendous job of re-stimulating those sensory receptors within our muscles and getting us with some isometric, basic, simple isometric contractions to improve that motor output, okay? As opposed to going and getting surgery, you can work with a muscle activation therapist, trainer, and again, here in Chicago, we're blessed. Johnny Cook's probably one of the best in the industry. I know, any he comes to the play of the Bears, because I know Johnny and I've been a, actually a client of his. They come and they ask, uh, you know, him to tra- work on these people the night before the games because uh, he's so good at what he does. And Peyton Manning, he swears by uh, muscle activation. That's the reason he's back to the level he is with his neck injury from a couple years ago. So I think from a physiological standpoint, those are some things that you can look at: muscle activation and whatnot. Then from a um, application from a standpoint of injectables. Hyaluronic acid is really hot, I know, both in the pill form and in injectable form, uh, obviously just to get some fluid into the joint if it's injured to get you some mobility back there and kind of manage some of the pain. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think the hottest thing right now, and you've done a show on it before, Lonnie, is on PRP. We still don't quite know what platelet-rich plasma does. We don't know whether it's truly regenerating cells or is it just strictly addressing inflammation. But I can tell you, and again, this is from personal use on my hip and my shoulder, we're seeing it done intraoperatively, we're seeing it done post-op, we're seeing it done prior to surgery. And there's no question whether you do the three injection series, the one big injection series with the high white blood count level, People are getting back to training, and they're getting less pain. And I tell you, it's about the safest thing out there, people. It's your blood that's being spun around in a centrifuge, and we're we're injecting five to ten times the concentration of those growth factors that's in blood right into your injured site. And, you know, listen, we get a flu shot every fall, right, Lani? And Nobody gets excited about it, so it's the, it's the same concept of getting the injection into your injured joint or injured muscle tissue. So I think if we take the time to kind of, exercise and utilize PRP, acupuncture, muscle activation, HA, there are a lot of avenues that you can do when I say buying time to get to what the next frontier is and that's stem cells, man. So I'll, I'll kind of dive into that real quick. Stem cells are without question where the industry is headed. We're not there yet, I would say from a timeline standpoint, it's probably five to 10 years, but I can tell you, I know from being in the industry as long as I have, Professional athletes, a lot of baseball players right now, I know the World Series is going on, but the season ended back at the end of September. They're now getting stem cell injections throughout the country. Um, I can tell you that's just kind of a casual end of the season. It's time to get my stem cell injection for the knee, the hip, the shoulder, the back. Uh, there's a reason for that. Uh, it is working. How We figured out how to manage the stem cells. No, there's a lot of controversy on where we should get the stem cells from. Should we get it from our own body? Should we get it from that iliac crest in our hip, which we feel is the richest, most abundant component in the body right now to harvest those cells? Then there's the argument that maybe we get it earlier on, and there's a company, Medex, that really believes that grabbing it from the placenta, the chorion layer of the placenta from newborn babies, that that is the richest, strongest site, and there's some, there's some really good data to believe in that. I know they've worked with a couple doctors down in Birmingham and they've, uh, they've had some great results. Obviously, Dr. James Andrews down there, who's probably art, <laughs> operated on every famous athlete that's ever played a sport, and they're making strides. Again, we're not there yet, but I can tell you my message today is simple. If you can find a way to use these adjunctive therapies to buy you the time, along with a great rehab or physician uh, that you can trust to prevent surgery and delay surgery down the road, Stem cells will be there to be this great therapy. And again, I don't have the timeline yet. It's maybe five, maybe ten years exactly when we're going to be able to put it as a treatment algorithm that's consistent, but we're getting there. So my message today, and I know, Lonnie, you got to be sounding like a hypocrite, right? I've made my, my money and taking care of my family being in the medical device arena, and I, I love it. It's great. But at the end of the day, I think we have to face the music that that is the trend in the industry that the stem cells eventually are going to find their way into especially the orthopedic sport world first because that's where we're seeing the the strongest outcomes. And that's why Peyton Manning just broke Favre's record the other last weekend because he used stem cells in his neck, and he'll tell you that.
0: Right. No, I can tell you that, I mean, I'm aware of two guys that were in clinical trials. And like you said, widespread, it's going to be a couple of years. But uh, they're personal uh, friends of mine and people I know and – You know, it's clear to me that, yes, that's the direction it's going. And, I mean, anybody who's involved, I think, in medicine or even physiology is very aware that stem cells are going to change medicine, you know. And, of course, that's going to mean less invasive, uh, less foreign objects placed into the body kind of thing. And, you know, I don't want to go into gory details. And, like I said, uh, like you were saying, actually, you know, that's. Uh, there's been a lot of good done there, but as technology moves forward, something that's less invasive, it can actually grow your own tissues and you know uh, not leave you um, half robotic <laughs> by the time you're seventy, exactly. you know, seems right, like right. seems like a good thing. so
2: and I can tell you that there's some athletes here that um that go downtown Northwestern, and they typically maybe it's once, twice a year, do a cycle of PRP and that's been their quote-unquote management protocol the last few years to keep them functional. Now, is PRP going to regrow the meniscus in the knee or regrow the the disc in their spine? No, it's not, but it's going to do enough to speed up the healing process and provide a management of inflammation and, and make the tissues a little bit stronger in a very temporary way that's safe, and I think that people still haven't really kind of gotten around to that. We still want like to see people popping the anti-inflammatory meds and and just going the wrong route, I think long term the and I'm not knocking the medical um, pharmaceutical companies, but man, I'm telling you the abuse with with the med and the pain management type drugs can really cause some long term damage because it's basically shutting down those nerve sensors that say, hey, there's no pain there when there actually is, and people are training through that and actually making the injury worse. So I'm I'm a real, I get really passionate about that. Well, so if you one of those people listening, you know, I, I'd like you to maybe have a reset button hit and say, maybe I need to re, re-approach this in a different way. No,
5: right, because
0: actually uh, I wouldn't have really thought about, like, um, platelet-rich plasma therapy or some of the, these other things as um, – uh, maintenance, you know, and proactive preventing uh, a bigger problem that's coming down. I would have thought about it more like an uh, uh, end treatment as opposed to something that I could do on a regular basis. Because you've heard us say this on, on the show before, but I mean, there's lots of power who they do exactly what you said. They're popping anti-inflammatories and Vicodin and stuff like that, like their PEZ, so they can continue to train Uh, when there might be a more corrective way, you know, rather than something that just blunts, because I'm really liking what you're saying about nerve activity would change, you know, when you're sort of, uh, when you're forcing yourself to be doped up on anti-inflammatories and and, uh, analgesics, you know, wow, or even opiates, you know, I can see how your nervous system then does sort of shut down And, you know, some of this other stuff is just, it just seems so much more corrective to me.
2: No, and and that's why muscle activation is such a great approach because it reawakens that nervous system. You know, you go in there and you basically reawaken muscles that have been shut down because the body's doing what it's supposed to, but it's not helping somebody who wants to be not just functional, but to your point, be in a very intense performance environment. That that is really counterproductive. But again, that's what we're kind of taught, you know, take, take the Vicodin, take what you have to to get through the pain. But man, we're just, we're accelerating the degeneration of that disc, that knee, that shoulder, that hip, and we just don't realize it because we're in the moment, right? So, right. That, that, that's the problem. So yeah, you're right. PRP has kind of really reshaped itself of not being so much a post-treatment of, a, of an injury, but now it's in more of that prehab, if you will, prior to surgery, prior to the injury getting worse. I can tell you, and you know, Phil will talk about his hip. I'm sure again, but with my hip, I've, I've been using PRP now for over four years, and I could have easily gone in and have a total hip done or a, you know, hip resurfacing uh, done for my hip, and I've decided against that. And and PRP has worked great for me, and you know, that's just one one joint, one injury. So that that is again, I don't want to sound hypocritical because there are just some tremendous surgeons out there. They're close friends of mine. They've done some great jobs on professional athletes and weekend warrior athletes among us, but. You know, there's a way to prevent surgery, guys. To your point, Lonnie, you're never the same again, right? You know, let's let's try your hardest to exhaust these adjunctive therapies that are out there that are getting better, by the way, and getting more thorough each year. And then when the stem cells are ready, and like I said, I think we're getting there, um, you know, it's going to be a different landscape. It's going to be really kind of cool to see how guys in their 60s, I think, you're going to see training like they never thought they could train because of it.
0: Well, you know, Rich, what a wild concept that instead of putting in a metal screw or something synthetic, you're you're putting in new tissue like if you will young tissue you know in order to keep yourself young and functional you're actually putting in the young stuff which is actual living tissue you know it's just sort of a different concept but let me ask you one thing then uh as we start to wind down here a little bit but um cost how does somebody do this if somebody's listening and they're either they're they're having back problems or they they like the idea of PRP as a preventive, you know, adjunct therapy is or even stem cells down the road. Can you give us some ideas about cost and how you enter the whole medical chain to get this stuff done?
2: Yeah, and that's, that's really – I'm glad you brought that up, Lonnie, because it's obviously very much a part of this. Um, unfortunately, right now, most of your insurance carriers do not cover PRP. The reason why – and this is with anything, okay, whether it's a surgery, whether it's a drug – There has to be enough studies to justify it. and There's a lot of backstories here with Obamacare and how things are going to be covered, so I'll spare you that long-winded answer. But the bottom line is you need to do your homework and find out whether your insurance carrier will cover it. Um, I can give you some ranges of what PRP would cost just as a flat cost because that's probably where this is going to end up going. Most surgeons and most offices give it's an extreme range. I've seen it from $200 up to $1,500 for one injection. Again, it depends on who you're talking to, what part of the country you're in, and whatnot. But to answer your question, the insurance companies right now don't cover the PRP, so this is an expensive alternative. But, Donnie, i got to throw this out to you. If you add up what you spend on all your anti-inflammatory drugs over the course of a year, I think you'd be shocked at how much you spend. So that $250 (laughs) injection is actually not that bad at the end of the day, and that's what gets kind of lost, Lonnie, when you get that sticker shock and they say, well, your insurance doesn't cover this, so it'll be $300 today. Add up what you spent on, even if you got a good copay on all your drugs over 365 days, I think you're going to be right where you are.
0: Well, not to mention the cost of a major invasive surgery with, you know, with like a spinal fusion with all the rehab that follows. And I mean, that's got to add up to some big bucks, I would imagine.
2: Oh, well, yeah. I mean, listen, the time off work and the uh, the amount of time that you're going to be down that you can talk for hours about, to me, it's your own blood. It's being spun in the centrifuge and it's being put back into your degenerative tissue. It is worth trying to buy you that time. And, again, you need to find out from your insurance carrier what they will cover. I do know that there's been some progress, and a lot of the major carriers are now approving PRP intraoperatively and postoperatively. So they're starting to get it. The light bulb's starting to get a little bit brighter, and they're starting to see that there is some progress with this. But as kind of a prehab event that you and I talked about initially today, that's probably still coming out of pocket. Right. So that's that's kind of if there's a negative to the the call today, it's that that's still not being covered yet. But we're getting closer, man. We're well, I'll, closer.
0: I'll be honest. For me, if I was going to go shell out, let's take the worst case scenario. I'm going to shell out fifteen hundred dollars uh, for some injections. Um, I want to know that's going to work, and I'd be a little wary right now. And again, this is new, right? It's the way things are moving, but it's like when you buy a new computer. You know, Do you want to get the newest, most experimental stuff, or maybe just wait and see how that pans out a little bit first? You know what I mean? So I, I would always be like, well, what's the bang for the buck? But I think the selling point for me personally would be avoiding that psychological anguish, like you said, of missing work and the Not being able to lift, you know, because once you've lifted since you were a boy or a little girl uh, for our female listeners, then holy cow, you know, missing all that time, feeling like you're, you know, helpless and and you're depressed and all this stuff. Like you were saying, the psychological part is huge. And to me, if I could avoid all that, um, that would make the cost of the injections maybe more worth it.
2: Exactly, and I think that's what people have to weigh in their mind, you know. Do you want to continue down the path of taking all these anti-inflammatory and all these drugs that are actually, as we discussed, hurting you or trying something different? And Lon, look, at the end of the day, you know, you try just maybe, they typically recommend a series of three, but let's say you just try one to see how you feel. To me, at the end of the day, it's how you feel, man. You take a couple days off from training, you see if it actually reduced your pain, and if it did, I think a little, you know, that's, that's, that's time to maybe hit the reset button and say, hey man, this might be the better path to go down for me. Um and again, I've, I've done this and I'm saying this from personal experience. I'm not just touting the science because I'm on this side of the stick. I've actually done the, the PRP now in my hip for the last few years and it's, it's been a wonderful tool for me. So maybe I'm just lucky or, or maybe there's some science behind this that's gonna going to be around a lot longer than
0: we think right i have one tangential very tangential question before i let you go though because i've wondered about this myself so let's take a listener who heavy squats regularly and he or she is advanced enough that they can get pretty damn heavy uh is there any advantage to purposely like almost an attraction like way deloading the spine hanging from a bar hanging upside down uh is there anything that you know about that
2: I'm, I'm so glad you asked that question. Um, I tend to fight most of my orthopedic spying guys on this because they don't agree with this. But I tell you, man, part of my, uh, at the end of any of my workouts and any of the athletes that I've worked with, I'm a huge fan of hanging from a bar anywhere from 20 to 30, no more than probably 40 seconds because I think you get a little bit of a reverse of what you want. But in very simplistic nature here, man, when you're done training and you can hang you know, uh, from a bar, you open up that spinal column, Mm
5: -hmm. especially
2: for older guys like me. The one thing you see if you do an MRI, and x-ray line is the discs are no longer white. They're starting to get a little darker and they're getting darker because there's not enough water in there. And if you consistently can hang from a bar post-workout, I tell you, for me, I know it's one of the reasons, knock on wood, that I've never had a major spine injury in my lifting career or my athletic career, it's letting that water get back into those discs keep them nice and juicy and let them do what they do, which are shock absorbers, right? And so by hanging, you open up that spinal column, you allow some of that water to get back in there. So to answer your question, yes. Now, do I have any science to back that up? Do I have a study? I don't. And orthopedic spine guys will tell you, no, that's not going to help you. But I can tell you from the rehab side and some of the therapists I've talked to, they highly recommend it. So (laughs) you can make your decision and and, then your assessment from there. So I'm a huge fan of that. So yeah, well, you bring that up.
0: I ask because I've been doing that for the past two years maybe. You know, just maybe three or four, uh, well, sets, if you will, of hanging for about 30 seconds. Uh, okay. Especially when I, I'm squatting or something like that. And uh, it's so subjective, you know, and I'm not the kind that usually talks out of opinion, but because but I'm not aware of any evidence of this really being a huge help either. But it sure seems to help me. You know, because I'm 46, right? So very similar to you. I've got, and my training age is old, right? I mean, I've been doing this since right. I was 12. Uh, right. So uh, I don't know. My per, I do it. I I do it personally, and I feel like it really seems to help. And maybe like you said, when you're in your 20s, you're you feel more invincible. But as you get older, uh, you know, middle age is about the time I think where uh, stupid habits or the lack of preventive habits catches up with you harder you know i tend to get stiff uh if i don't train and almost scary you know how quickly i seem to uh regress (laughs) and when i was in my 20s i could probably take a month off of something and not have much change you know what i mean so anyway this is just the kind of thing for me um it seems to really help and that's why i wanted to ask
2: well, i, I got to just comment on that. Besides, the hit, Lonnie, you, you hit the nail on the head. When the surgeons tell you to back off, and that's almost their automatic button that they hit when you go in for any injury, beside the spine, the hip, the knee, the shoulder, uh, backing off a little bit is one thing, but you say take a month off. I found Motions Lotion, and to find ways to train around your injury, you'll talk to most of your therapists. They'll tell you, man, keep moving. Keep that blood flowing, because you're right. I know when I take more than a week off lining, it, it hurts more than when I'm not training. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> mm-hmm. <That's laughs> you're spot true. on, man. It, yeah. it, it's comical. But anyhow, I'm, I'm a little off topic. But that, that, is, that is definitely the right approach.
5: Okay. Well,
0: we are just about out of time, so I just wanted to say thanks for coming on with us, Rich.
2: No. Hey listen, Lonnie, it was a pleasure. Love the show. Thanks for keeping it real, man. It's a pleasure to listen to it.
0: Well it's good to cover the medical side and the you know, remind everybody, take care of yourselves, you know, in a preventive and a rehabilitation <clears throat> sort of way. You know, and I mean I want to go to people who know this stuff and and you do. So thanks again.
2: No, thanks again, man. Have a great day. Thank you.